What's up, everybody? Go Figure Podcast. We are live, guys. Welcome to the show. It is episode number 19, and we thought because of what we talked about last week that it would be fascinating to dive deeper into this credit subject. Last week, we remember, we were talking about what it takes to be fundable as an individual, as a business owner, and today we're going to do a deep dive into what we call credit secrets. And there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation related to credit in this country, and if you're a business owner, if you're an individual, if you're you know, a parent, being someone who understands credit is very important. In fact, it's vital for your well-being and for 99% of the population, like if they don't manage their credit, success in life is going to be very difficult to come by. So some of the things we're going to check out and dive into today with credit secrets is number one, what impact does good or bad credit have in your life? So that's going to be fascinating. What's the next step there? Yeah, we're also going to talk about how your credit can impact your home purchases, your vehicles, your insurance, your school, your business, and because it's Valentine's Day, your love. Oh, baby. If you want to have a good love life, you better get your credit right. (laughs) (laughs) That can be your make or break deal. I know that uh, a lot of the different dating apps you now have to list you know, your credit. And if you don't, well, that could be that could be a deal breaker right there. So keep that in mind. We're going to talk about also why do schools fail us when it comes to credit? Schools just do not teach a lot about credit. It's very disappointing. Why is that? Yeah, absolutely. And from there, we're going to talk about the different credit scores, right? There's a FICO score. There's a Vantage score. Which one do lenders really care about? We're going to break that down. Then we're going to talk about the five drivers when it comes to your credit scores, like how is this credit score actually calculated and what should you know about it? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, uh, you know, do, do we want to give them the, the, the percentages right now? No, I don't think that? so. Let's, like we save that, let's, uh, let's tease we save that uh, for later. And then of course we're going to check in and do a little review on what was a very great uh, Super Bowl game. Very entertaining, very exciting. We'll talk about that controversial holding call. Was it, should it have been called? We'll talk about uh, the heroics of uh, Patrick Mahomes and, frankly, Jalen Hurts had one hell of a game himself. Absolutely. Great game. Excited to talk about it. It was. It was uh, nice to see that. There's nothing worse than a disappointing Super Bowl. I always think back to that uh, Patriots-Rams Super Bowl, which was extremely disappointing and very, very boring. (laughs) And uh, luckily, the Super Bowls over the last few years have been much improved, so... That was awesome to see, my friends. Welcome to the Go Figure Podcast, created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. So here we are, 2023, and credit is an important factor. And it's become something that, uh, you know, I think it wasn't talked about nearly as much maybe a couple decades ago, but it's definitely with a lot of advertising from Experian and some of the credit bureaus out there, there's a little bit more information. There's a little bit more knowledge that, boy, I better, you know, pay attention to this credit thing or I'm going to, you know, get into trouble. So when we think about the impact of what good credit and bad credit has in your life, you know, where are some of the places that you begin or that come to mind, Ty, where, yeah, credit really can impact you here, and maybe we don't always expect some of these places, some of them, we don't even think that credit has an effect, but it does. Yeah, I, th- I think the, f- the very first one for me would be car insurance, right? Getting your very first yes. ve- insurance for your own vehicle, you're moving out, you're 18 years old, you have to go get your insurance and realize, oh my gosh, because my credit is terrible. My rate went up by $300 a month. It's, you know, it, it, it darn near has the same impact that like a DUI can have on the cost of your insurance. And so that's the first real experience I had or saw credit have a big impact on my life was the first time you have to go get your own car insurance. That's huge. I mean, think of all the different ways you need insurance in this country in your life. You need, you know, car insurance, you need home insurance, you might need rent insurance if you're renting you need life insurance. If you have children, if you have a family and you want them to be taken care of in case something happens to you, and all of those payment rates are going to be driven by your credit. And so if your credit is good, or even if it's not bad, but there just isn't a lot of it, 
then that's going to have a negative impact and you're going to be paying thousands of dollars more in insurance than you would if you had good credit. And why do you think they do that? Why? What's the purpose of checking someone's credit for auto insurance? It's like if they don't pay, they just cancel the policy. Why do you think they want to check your credit? I think that's exactly right. If they don't pay, then they've spent all this time and money and they put the insurance premium together. And if you have to cancel it in three to six months, they're probably operating at a loss. And so they know that, boy, if we're going to operate at a loss, we better charge more for that premium because this person might you know, not make their payments on time. And then all of a sudden the insurance gets canceled. We just wasted our time putting that insurance policy together versus somebody who is very dependable, somebody who pays their bills on time, has that good credit, is significantly more likely to be on top of that insurance policy. And because they're on top of it, it's, it's going to be less costly for me. I'm less afraid of them not making the payments. And now I know my time is better spent with that person with good credit. That's my guess. I'm not in the insurance uh, space. I almost wonder if some of it also has to do with responsibility. Like if it's someone that takes care of their credit, they're, they tend to be more responsible. I, oh. I don't know. That's my guess. So if they're more responsible, they're less likely to get in an accident. Maybe that's one of the reasons why. I think that's a really good point there, Ty, because insurance companies know their analytics. They know their data. They know their people really good, and they know, and that makes sense. Yeah, if you're generally a little bit more responsible with your credit, you're probably more responsible with how you take care of your car, how you take care of your home, your apartment, that you definitely want your uh, you know family to be taken care of if you have a life insurance policy, and so that would make sense. If you have good credit, you're likely going to be a better insurance customer and client. And they know their data. They've been doing insurance for over 100 years, a lot of these insurance companies. So I think uh, your assessment is probably right on. All right. Well, that that's the first impact. I, I That so would be insurance. my guess. And, and yeah, I, I think I found that a lot. I actually did insurance for a little while very, very early on in the career. And I hated that anytime something would come back and the rate was significantly higher and you're trying People to figure out why. And yeah, it's just yeah. soft credit checked and yeah. it ruined their, their premium. So yeah. um, homes, purchasing yeah. homes, that is a huge, huge, huge eye-opener with how expensive bad credit really is. It really is. And so, you know, you're looking at the different options out there. Number one, let's say you have to go with FHA, which FHA is a little bit more aggressive. They can sometimes go down to a 620, 640 FICO score. You know, case in point, sometimes they can, sometimes they can't. But those rates are going to be significantly higher. And then there's going to be big uh, mortgage insurance premiums a lot of the time, too, for those. And so it's a big deal. I mean, everybody, you'll see a lot of young kids now. They're in their uh, mid-20s, late-20s, maybe early-30s, and they just didn't get a lot of education about credit. And they go to apply for that home loan, and they're shocked that, well, actually, I don't qualify. And sometimes they don't qualify just because they don't have actually any credit established. And other times it's they got in trouble with uh, credit card debt. So I remember, you know, years ago, I'm sitting at the University of Utah campus and in between classes, I would be walking out, you know, outside the, the campus and there's buildings and they would have these little booths set up right there on the side of the road. And they're like, ah, I want a free t-shirt or get this free thing for applying for a credit card. And so I would go there and I would apply for a credit card and I had no idea what I was doing, but it actually worked out in my favor. I never actually used these credit cards. And I started to build some credit history starting at age 18. And by the time I was uh, 21, 22, needing to get car loans, I at least had some credit established. I had like a $3,000 credit card limit on a credit card that I had never, ever used. And so that was actually my first foray into credit. I don't remember my parents teaching me anything uh, about credit. They certainly advised me to avoid uh, debt and pay cash for as many things as possible because you can get into trouble. And I do remember there were a lot of my classmates that actually did rack up credit card uh, debts with these credit cards that they got going out and partying and having a good time. And all of a sudden, oh, the payment started to come due and, oh, I can't make the payment. And those were the people that years later would reach out to me for a home loan and they wouldn't qualify. And I'm like, oh, we got we to gotta make these payments on time, guys. And so that was kind of my first experience uh, where credit came in. And like you said, it did have an impact because people look to buy homes. It's still part of the American dream to a certain extent, I think, to buy a home. And if your credit's not where it needs to be, you're not buying that home. Absolutely. Or if it's even just a little bit lower, like when we're looking at a $500,000, $700,000 home, the difference between a 5% interest rate and a 6% interest rate, 
not just with your monthly payment, but how much you actually pay over the life of that loan is sickening. Like it's astronomical. And a lot of the times that extra rate or two or 3% is simply due to bad credit. It's wild. And so you literally might spend or pay an extra, you know, several $10,000, maybe as much as an extra $100,000 over the life of that loan because of the high interest rate you're, you're paying. And so legitimately, that's why it's more difficult to create wealth and become financially independent in this country if you don't pay attention to credit. You're going to be paying higher interest rates on mortgages, which means more money is going towards interest. You're not paying it down. You're going to qualify for less of a home, which means it's going to probably appreciate less in value. So everything is working against you, and the sooner you can get educated, and that's a lot of what it is. It's it's whatever we focus on, we learn about, we become better at, and so, so the, the next thing here is we've talked about homes, like that's a big deal. You can't buy a home. And I think it, it's interesting, you know, you look at credit repair companies out there and they don't actually go out and say, hey, we're a credit repair company. What they will do is they'll advertise for, oh, you want to buy that home when your credit is, you know, that obstacle not letting you get to buy that home. So, oh, well, let us help you so you can qualify for your home. And so smart advertisers with credit repair companies, will kind of focus on that. But a big deal in being able to buy a home, it is the American dream. It is, for most families, one of the biggest ways that they can create wealth, generational yeah. wealth, by being able to build up equity in that home. And if you can't qualify for that home, you know, you're in trouble. And I think home ownership in this country has gone down uh, in the last two to three years. I think it was up to 65 66%. I think it's come down to maybe 63, 62%. And so it seems like home ownership is going down. It also seems like a lot of the younger generation are really struggling to get in that uh, position where they can buy a home and credit probably paying a part. You know, what I'm seeing with the the young generation being that we look at credit reports all day, every yeah. day, it's not even a ton of bad credit, but almost as bad as bad credit is a lack of credit history, exactly. right? You still have to have credit to be able to go out and get those good rates, to get the high limit credit cards, to get the, the Amex Delta reserve where you can get the most sky miles, right? You have to have that credit history. And I think the younger generation is almost just scared of credit. Like they've, there's been such this negative attitude towards credit and credit is bad and credit is bad and credit is bad. And so this younger generation has that implanted in their heads. And so they're just scared of credit. You know, it's interesting what happened in the early 2000s and then 2008, 2009 hit. And so a lot of the parents of some of this younger generation of kids went through a painful reckoning where they had tried to invest in real estate or whatever, and they lost jobs. There was really a lot of job loss in that 08, 09 recession. And so people were unable to pay their bills, their credit took a hit. And so some of them filed for bankruptcy and a lot of them came back and never established credit. And so psychologically, unconsciously, a lot of these kids went through that watching their parents struggle. They didn't get educated, but what they did remember was, oh, debt bad, avoid debt at all costs, don't have any credit. And then they get up into those uh, years where they want to be able to buy their first home or they even, you know, just need, you know, different loans for different reasons. And now you're right. It's not necessarily that they have bad credit. It's that they have no credit. And what happens when you have no credit? You can't get credit. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in this exact same position. And it's kind of, we talked about this on our, our last episode when I say you inherit your parents' uh, Poor credit. We saw Some a people, lot of comments on <laughs> yeah. that. There was like 66 comments on Some that. Some people took that literally. Like they thought that I meant like because my parents had these negative items, you're inheriting that when they die. That's not That's not what I meant, okay? What we were talking about, like you just said, Leo, is like 08, 09. I see this with a lot of friends that I have where they saw their parents get into huge trouble. They were so over leveraged and it created this fear of debt and this fear of credit. And guess what? You don't inherit their credit, right? You don't inherit those negative it's, items. It's the psychological Exactly. Effect. You do absolutely, in a lot of cases, inherit your parents' skills. You inherit your parents' fears. You inherit their habits. And so poor money decisions or fears of credit or your parents constantly saying, oh, credit cards got me in trouble, avoid them at all costs. Yes, that is going to be implanted on you and that will become your mindset. Now, now there's outliers, of course, but 
That's what we were talking about, and that's what we see day in and day out. That's exactly right. Recent surveys show that the majority of kids in this nation who grow up and are in their teens, their 20s, and even their young 30s, the majority of their education about money, about credit, came from their parents, came from their grandparents. And so if those parents' grandparents were not successful financially, if they hadn't understood and learned the money game, if they have no idea how the credit game works, then they're going to be much more likely to fail when it comes to money, when it comes to credit when it comes to investments, when it comes to good debt versus bad debt, because of that example. Sometimes it's example, sometimes it's what they say, it's what they hear unconsciously. And so that's why it's so crazy that these things are not taught in school. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Why is credit money not really taught in school? What are some of the specifics that should be taught in school? And well, if they're not going to be, then we're going to darn, darn, uh, do our best right now to teach you so that you can educate your family, children, company, etc. So so that credit and money is something that they are well um, positioned on, understand, and can succeed with. So we've talked about, you know, insurance. We've talked about how credit affects home ownership. Let's talk about the car loan industry. And we talked a little bit about the craziness in auto loan, uh, you know, financing, where so many auto loan brokers will just damage your credit, hitting so many different inquiries. But let's talk about the difference between what you're going to pay if you have good credit for a car loan. And what you'll pay if you had bad credit. And you actually have a lot of experience kind of with this because your family is has a lot of uh, history in helping people with poor credit to actually be able to get auto loans and buy cars. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. My grandfather started one of the very first buy here, pay here car dealerships in Utah, which ultimately when he was uh, like 20, 25 years old, he was working for dealerships. And he said, you know what? I'm going to create a solution that finances absolutely anybody. I'm going to have to hire bounty hunters. I'm going to have to write off a lot of debt and lost vehicles and whatnot, but it will all balance out. And so ultimately that being said, yes, he is one of those dealers that causes that, that charges an astronomical rate for a car because someone has poor credit and is ultimately saying there is a very, very good chance. I don't pay this bill okay, we'll give you a vehicle, but you're going to pay twice as much as someone that shows that they can consistently pay their bills. And that's not an exaggeration, Leo. We're talking my, if I went out to get a truck right now and my auto loan was $400 a month, someone with a 605 credit score could go get that same vehicle and be paying $800 to $1,000 a month. 100%. That's what's so unique, I think, about the auto loan industry is you've got that that collateral and they understand their business and they understand how people make payment. And so interestingly enough, almost anybody can qualify for an automobile loan as long as they have some sort of verifiable income. Yep. And they can breathe and, and they have some sort of credit score. It could all be, you know, in the high 500s. It could be in the low 600s. But you can legitimately qualify for that auto loan. But you're exactly right. Instead of paying $400 for that, you know, F-150 that's uh, 10 years old, you're actually paying $800 a month because you don't understand credit. You have bad credit history. And the, they would love to give you that auto loan. And they know their numbers that a certain amount of people are going to default. That's why you're being charged a higher interest rate. And they're going to do their best not to lose money they're in the business to make money and take care of their family too. And so that's what you have to understand. Like anybody can qualify for an auto loan with verifiable income and really bad credit, but what you're going to be paying out in interest and that monthly payment is going to be substantially higher and cost you significantly and kind of keep you, you know, locked in to not a great vehicle, but very high car payments until you begin to understand your credit. Absolutely. And a vehicle is something that you can absolutely refinance. Uh, people don't realize yes. that. They think you're locked into that auto loan forever. In fact, it's a really good idea to refinance if you're at a high rate and you improve your credit or you get more credit history. It's not like a home loan where they're going to have to add another eight to $10,000 onto your loan if you refi. You can go right into your bank. Hey, I'm currently at a 14.99 because I had bad credit when I got this auto loan. Can you pre-qualify me? Let's see what I qualify for today. Well, guess what? They take you down to a 6.5. You refinance that auto loan. Your payment went down quite a bit. And now you're it, it didn't cost you anything because it's an auto loan. So it, it's a great, great move to make. If you currently have a high interest auto loan, go into your local credit union and see what they can pre-qualify you for. Oh, exactly right. And that's something that a lot of people don't understand is let's say you get that mortgage, you get that car loan, and you're paying a much higher rate 
because of poor credit history and you start to learn some of these credit secrets that we're going to be sharing with you today, you implement these and now you actually boost your credit score. Well, yes, you should absolutely go ahead and refinance into a lower interest rate on your mortgage, a lower interest rate on your car. You should uh, be able to apply for new credit cards. If you have any credit card balances and move those to lower interest, these are smart money tactics that a lot of people don't do. And you'll see somebody who took a really bad mortgage, a really bad car loan, their credit's gotten better and they're still in the same loan they've been in for years, paying that terrible interest rate, not knowing that they should and and should could and should refinance into a much lower interest rate and better loan. Absolutely. Okay, guys, we've gone over insurance, we've gone over home cars. Let's talk a little bit about uh, school loans. Like this is a deal, right? If you're trying to go to law school or medical school or engineering school, and you're going to definitely need that uh, that student loan to be able to pay for that. And you need to be able to qualify for it. And if you can't qualify for it with your credit, then you're going to have to go and find a co-signer. So legitimately, if you're trying to get into higher education and get a student loan, and there's a lot can be said about whether that's the best investment or not, you've got to definitely look at the pros and cons to weigh with that. But student loans are going to be factored in. And there's a lot of people paying exorbitant interest rates on their student loans because of their credit score. Uh, yeah, and again, that that is something that we see quite frequently and we also not just see that with the students i see that on the parents credit reports oh my goodness a lot yes, we do because their yes, kids started school and decided you know what this isn't for me i'm not going to finish and i don't care about my credit so i'm just going to default on all of this and guess what now it's ruining the parents credit score so my first thought on that is you better have a very very stern and firm sit down with your child if you're about to co-sign on a student loan Number one, they better be fully committed to actually finish and complete that. And number two, they better understand how that impacts not just their credit, but your credit as well. Because like all these things we just talked about, just because your kid defaulted on a student loan, your credit could go down by 100 points and now you're paying the higher rates. You're having a hard time getting insurance. You're paying for twice as much as you should for a vehicle. All like Again, all because your kid didn't complete school or didn't care about their credit. And this is exactly why a lot of millennials, a lot of Generation Z out there are out there struggling financially because they didn't master their credit. And so they're paying more on student loans and they might have average of $40,000 in student loans that they owe. They can't quite qualify for a home. They haven't been able to get better jobs. They haven't learned how to start their own businesses. And so times are tough. And that's why home ownership is down for them. That's why they're waiting a lot longer to get married. That's why they're not having kids because of this lack of credit and financial education. And that's why it's so important that our youth are getting this credit education. At the end of this podcast, we're actually going to be giving out our credit college secrets, a way to access that uh, through our my figures account there. And that is something that's important for us. It's a mission because no one teaches us about credit in school and college. And so it's on us to be able to share that information with you and with our families. And we want you to share it with others too, because this is information that's vital to your wealth and your future and well-being. So we've talked about how it affects them, you know, trying to get that uh, higher education degree where they need student loan financing. What about those who want to start a business? How important is credit time when it comes to trying to start a brand new business and really live the American dream? Home ownership is certainly part of it, but I think even more in today's world of Instagram, uh, millionaires and billionaires and all the entrepreneurs that have now become our heroes, the Elon Musk of the world and, and those who are really taking life to the next level in entrepreneurship, they understand that to get started, like it generally takes some money to get that business off of the ground. That's what we're focused on at Seven Figures Funding. But how, what kind of role is credit playing if you want to start a brand new business yeah. in the United States in 2023? If you want to start a business in the United States in 2023, your personal credit is imperative. No ifs, if, ands, or buts about that, Leo. There, there's no such thing as a startup business loan that isn't going to look at your personal credit. Unless you're going out and getting a venture capitalist to, to invest a lot of money or you're getting your mom or your dad or a family member, those are the outliers. But any sort of business loan, they're going to want business financials. They're going to want to check your personal credit. If you're a startup, you don't have business financials. Guess what? You're tied to what personal options are out there. And every single personal option, whether it's, whether it's credit cards, home equity line of credit, a personal loan, whatever that may be, your personal credit is a massive, massive indicator in whether or not you're going to get that loan. 
And one of the big bits of information out there that is just not true is this idea that I can just buy an existing entity that might have good business credit, and that's going to translate into $100,000 in a business line of credit. That's not true. Maybe that happened 20 years ago. I don't know if that's true or not, but I've never seen it uh, happen. It is not something that happens in 2023. Your personal credit is going to be vital. And until you have like a 50 to $100 million a year business with really well-established business credit and some tangible assets that a bank could actually use as collateral, personal credit is what it's going to take to be able to qualify for a business loan. And now we get to the most exciting part of why credit matters in 2023, and that is the dating world, right? You've got uh, all the different apps out there. You've got uh, eHarmony and Match This and, and uh, you know, I want to marry a cowboy.com. I don't know. There's all these different uh, apps out there. Of course, Farmers Tinder, Only. Farmers so Only. There's a new uh, Bachelor show about uh, marry a farmer that's super exciting for a lot of our farmers wow. out there. Uh, who are sometimes great entrepreneurs, by the way. But when you're dating, like, you know, EO, you and I have been married uh, for a while, but we've got a lot of folks here in the office, uh, Jillian right there. How important is that credit score for your prospective partner? You're super excited about them, and you realize they didn't list their credit score on the, uh, the little uh, dating app there, and now all of a sudden you ask them and you realize, oh, that's why you didn't list it. This, oh boy, this one might sound shallow. Yeah, this might sound shallow, Leo, but when I was when I was dating, <laughs> if I was sitting down at dinner with a girl and I found out that she didn't care about her credit whatsoever, she had a low 500 score, she never paid Uh-oh. her bills, finances weren't important to her, it was a massive, massive turnoff. Because in my opinion, that's going to carry on into the marriage. And I am very, very strict about my credit and my finances, and I just didn't want anything to do with that. So for me, credit and financial health and financial wellness were two very, very important things. 100%. And if you're out there in the dating world and you're looking for that future spouse or partner, and one of the first things you're going to learn about them is if you want to have a successful family, one of the top reasons why many marriages fail in this country is obviously due to finances and lack of understanding of credit and getting into trouble with credit. And so when that happens, you know, that's why it's an important factor for you to decide who you're going to marry and be with long term. And so if you aren't actually understanding credit, and if they have no desire to get their money right, to get their credit right, then the marriage is going to be tough. Because oftentimes you'll have two partners, maybe opposites attract, maybe one's a little bit more frugal, and the other one spends a lot more. But if you aren't on the same page with your finances and understanding credit and taking care of it, then you're going to struggle, you won't be able to invest as much, you'll be able to, you'll be spending a lot more on interest over years. And it's going to cost you big time. And so it's super important that couples get on the same page if you're going to be in a long-term relationship. And that's why that credit score is a factor. And people are now listing it more and more. Hey, I've got good credit. Or, hey, I don't have good credit, but I'm understanding how important it is. I'm going to make the commitment to learn about it. But, yeah, if you just have no desire and you think it's not important and, oh, all these rich people, they only care about money, well, guess what? You're not going to be one of them if that's your attitude. Absolutely. I mean, what if you're trying to go buy your first house and you have a perfect credit score, but your spouse has a 550 and all of a sudden you're stuck because of that. So not saying, I mean, sometimes things do happen. And if you have the perfect match out there and they have a 550 because of an old student loan that went into collections, yeah, there's there's some workarounds there and whatnot. But overall, if it's someone that just doesn't care, they don't pay their bills, they don't work hard, then yeah, that's something that would turn me away and should turn a lot of people away because your life is going to be very, very tricky, especially early on as you start to get the cars, you get the homes, you get the insurance. It's going to be really hard to ever get ahead because you're paying so much more than someone with healthy credit. 100%. So if you're looking to attract your dream spouse partner, you know, romantic partner, Credit is going to play an important factor in that decision. So make sure that you're on top of your credit, you're understanding, you know, the factors that come into creating a credit score, et cetera, et cetera. So now we've come to the next uh, segment in the Credit Secrets uh, podcast episode we're doing here, where we want to talk about why is it that schools fail to teach our children, they fail to teach us when we're in, you know, elementary, junior high, high school, college, university, master's degree, PhDs, how many of them have, you know, any type of 
finance background? Is there personal finance classes? Are there business finance classes? Is there a class about credit and how to manage credit? And it's such an important factor in affecting all areas of financial health in your life, your future relationships, your family, your potential children down the road, and yet it's not taught in school how is this possible? Why is it still not taught in school? Who knows? But let's let's think about why this could be. One thought that initially comes to my mind on this is the uh, the government handcuffs. Truth be told, when we look at the public school systems, there are so many checks and balances that have to be gone through to get new curriculum implemented. The credit system is always changing. So maybe they're looking at it like, hey, the credit system right now is going to be entirely different, different algorithms, different scores, then it, it's going to be different today than it will be one year from right now. And because it takes so damn long to get new curriculum into the system, they just thought, you know what, leave that on the parents. Let's have them figure that out on their own. I, I don't know. That's one BS excuse or thought that maybe comes to, to my mind. What are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, that's definitely one idea. The other idea that comes to my mind is a lot of our you know, a lot of the educational professionals in this country really do care, and they want the, the kids to succeed. They want them to, you know, become successful in their lives. And I think we can all think back uh, to someone who made a massive difference in our life in the education system. I, I think of my high school teacher, Mrs. Ayer, who was a wonderful teacher, um, you know, Talk, talk to my mom, forced me to get into debate and uh, to take AP English, but I really learned how to write and how to present, and it's paid massive dividends, especially in public speaking that we have to do to build our business and to get the word out about what we do here at Seven Figures Funding, and so I certainly see the value in that, but the the, the bottom line issue is most of our educational government professionals, they haven't been able to get their money right. They haven't been taught about uh, financial and wealth building strategies and tools and the importance of credit. And unfortunately, I think because of that fact, it's impossible for you to teach me. It's almost like the blind leading the blind, right? You know, we have, uh, you know, parents in this country and they don't understand wealth and credit and they're teaching misinformation or things they don't quite understand with their own limiting beliefs to their children and then their children pass that on and it just goes on forever. And the same thing happens in the education system. If I haven't actually built that business, if I haven't actually created wealth, if I don't have really strong credit and learned the difference between good debt and bad debt, it's impossible for me to teach you what you should be doing when I'm not doing it myself and that's why it takes someone who maybe is that successful, who gets into government, who says, we've got to have some education programs in this country that teach kids about how to manage credit, about how to manage debt, about how to build credit, about how to make smart investments, about how to build for the future, and most importantly, how to understand when you should take on debt or not. One of the biggest mistakes a lot of kids make nowadays and their parents is, oh, we're going to send you to that $20,000 a year you know, college education, and you're going to go get a degree in fine arts about uh, French literature from the 1800s, and that's not going to translate into a job that's going to pay your bills. It's not going to pay the $80,000 student loan back that you took out for it, and you're not going to be able to have a lot of success unless you make some major transitions and go into a different field to earn a better living, and that's one of the big issues. And so it becomes this thing that is generational, and it passed on from educational professionals, and it just never seems to make any progress. And so whatever the case is, the bottom line is, what are we going to do about it? And that's, I think, what this show is all about. Yeah, exactly. It, it has me thinking, Leo. I took a, in 2010, I took a financial literacy course, and I still remember vividly from that course, I, I maybe they briefly mentioned credit, but what I remember vividly is there was an entire section on how to write checks and how to balance a checkbook, and how to create a general ledger, and how to handwrite a profit and loss, and how to handwrite a balance sheet. And this is 2010. Like, we yeah. were already past it then. Yeah, we were. Well past it then. But why aren't they teaching in financial literacy how to set up a QuickBooks account? I know they have QuickBooks courses, but that should be something that's, like, mandatory to go in and learn how to do this electronically or digitally now to learn how to go look at a bank statement online and look at key things there. Right, right. I've probably written maybe a dozen checks in my entire life. Yeah. I spent a whole section of that course learning about checks and balancing checkbooks. Like that's just crazy. It is crazy. And one of the things that just came to my mind is, okay, 
So why are schools and the government not putting the proper curriculum to teach our children about credit and money and finances? And now I'm starting to realize, wait a second, over the last 20, 25, 30 years, our government actually spends more than it takes in. And so now it's starting to you know, hit me dead on, oh, that's why, because from the very top down in this country, we're making shitty decisions and spending way more money than we actually bring in as a government. So of course, that's what's being taught to our youth. And a lot of them are out there overspending, taking on student loans and car loans and things that they cannot afford. They're not saving to invest. They just talk about saving to save and they never make financial progress because as a country, our leaders don't make the tough decisions. And a lot of it comes down to delayed gratification, right? When was the last time, and we've talked about this, that a presidential candidate you know, came out and said, you know what, guys, for the next eight years, guys and gals, we are going to have to you know, tighten the belt. We're going to have to not spend some money here. We're going to have to save more money. We've got to pay our debts down. We're de- up to $30 trillion in debts, guys, because we have a, you know, a $3 or $4 trillion a year budget, and we spend 5 or $6 trillion, so we keep on going in the negative. And that is one of the common factors that because we don't actually practice it as a country, why would we teach it as a country? And clearly we don't. Exactly right. We, we're inheriting exactly what our government is, yep. is putting out there. It's just like yep. our parents or to the children. I mean, think if, you ra- think if we ran our business like that. Like, oh, yeah, you know, we, we've got a $5 million a year business or a $10 million a year business. But, you know, we actually have expenses of $12 million. So we're losing $2 million a year. That's not even that's not even uh, you know sustainable at all. And so now you have a reckoning too. The same thing has happened in the tech sector, right? All these tech companies for years were bleeding money, and the idea was, hey, just take more market share, increase the top line revenue, and you're going to win. And over the last year, we found out, well, actually, the market's kind of had it with that. They're not going to keep on putting money in Wall Street stocks in companies that are losing money. You're actually going to have to, you know. Make a profit, and that's what it comes down to as a family. Like, you have to make a profit. You have to spend more than you make, and obviously you need to focus on increasing the income, but you can't spend more than you make. And if you can go through that sacrifice and delay your gratification and learn the skills to increase your income and then keep the expenses low, that's like that's the whole purpose of, of financial success and credit success. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not being it's not being taught. And that's like we keep reiterating and keep saying it's it's on us. It's it's on you. It's on you as a father. It's on you as a mother to figure this out for yourself so that you can then pass it on to your children. Exactly right, guys. So it's on us to teach others about credit. That's uh, we're going to be giving out the credit college module for free here at the end of this show so that you can share that so that you can go through. And right now we're going to talk about something super important. The five main drivers that calculate and create your credit score in 2023. There are five factors. Number one, 35% of your credit score is made up of making your payments on time. On time payment history is the foundation. 35% of your credit score comes from making your payments on time. Number two, credit utilization. 30% of your credit score is how you treat credit cards. If you max them out, your credit's going to go down. If you keep that balance, below 45, 30% of the limit, you're going to have a much higher credit score. That is 30% of your credit score. No one ever teaches us about this. 15% of your credit score is the average age of your accounts. So if you, that's why grandma and grandpa oftentimes have really (laughs) good credit because they've have accounts they've had open for decades. So don't close that credit card account. Keep it open. That's going to increase your average age of accounts. That's 15% of your credit score. 10% of your credit score is a good mix. Do you have mortgages? Do you have car loans? Do you have credit cards? A good mix of credit. The credit score system likes that. That's 10%. And the final 10% that everyone talks about that's going to ruin their life is new accounts and credit inquiries. It does make up just 10% of your credit score. So those are the five drivers that create your credit score in 2023. Let's dive into number one, on-time payment history, you know, what, what What can we say about that that maybe people don't quite understand? Well, my advice on this one, Leo, is it's 2023. I, I, I hope you don't have an account out there that does not allow 
automatic payments. If you do, it's probably time to shift and, and start. You don't close it. We'll talk about that later, but shift and start using an account that allows automatic payments. You should never, ever, ever have a late payment, right? You, I go in, what I do, I don't say do the automatic payment on my payment date. I have it set up so that it will always make the minimum required payment no matter what, and it'll do that five days before the payment date just to ensure it will always get paid on time for that minimum monthly payment. If I want to go in and pay more, I go in and pay more. But turning on the minimum monthly payment five days before the payment due date will pretty much guarantee you never have a late payment. Guys, super big credit hack value bomb. Ty just dropped on you right there. If you don't have auto pay on your minimum monthly payment of every single account you've got, whether it's a mortgage, car loan, or credit card, and if you're not making it before the actual due date, you're putting your credit at risk. You're putting you know, the fact that you're going to pay higher interest at risk, late fees, all these different factors that people don't realize. And yet, incredibly, in 2023, a, a, a lot of people still don't have auto pay on. And I think a lot of that comes down to, I'm still spending more than I'm making. So please, understand exactly how much money's coming into your bank account every single month. Understand what your budget is and go through and be like, all right, I'm going to have to stop eating out. I'm going to have to cut some things out so that I have enough room that I can put my money on auto pay because if you can't put it on auto pay then it's going to the odds of you screwing up and damaging your credit are pretty damn high so please use auto pay huge value bomb tie just dropped for you now that said let's say you get into a bind you had a medical emergency and it you know insurance only covered so much and so you had to come up with some extra money a lot of the times you can put those on payment plans you don't have to worry about it they're not going to put it into collections if you talk to them communicate put it on a payment plan i mean i remember years ago we had like uh, uh all sorts of medical emergencies and times were tough and we had things on payment plan and they never sent it to collection because we communicated well and did a payment plan so you can always do that but let's say some emergency happens and you just don't have the money, and so you you can't make the payment on time. But you're going to get paid, and you're going to make the payment two weeks later. Well, here's the secret. They're not going to report it late to the credit bureaus until you're officially 30 days late. So, you, so if you get into a bind, you just need to be able to make that payment electronically before the 30th day, and it's not going to impact your credit. You're going to pay late fees. You need to get current. You need to you know reduce your budget and avoid any variable expenses, eating out, going to movies, things like that until you can get on top of things. But if you do that, then you can still save your credit. Same thing if you pass 30 days, 60 days is the next thing. If you're 58 or 59 days, they won't hit a 60-day late. And a 60-day late is way worse than a 30-day late, et cetera, et cetera. So understand how those things work, but please use AutoPay. Absolutely. And sometimes if you're really, really dire too, you can do the old Rob Peter to pay Paul technique, yes, where if you have yes. more than one credit card and all of your balance is here, well, take a little piece of that balance and do a balance transfer to your credit card company. It looks like a payment. So you can balance transfer off whatever your payment is, maybe a little bit more than that. If you need to keep doing that for a couple months and kind of go back and forth, you can. It's not ideal. I mean, suggested would be go out and make a little bit of extra money, find a little side hustle so you can make that payment. But you can always transfer things back and forth a little bit if needs be. And that's one of the things I always see. The difference between rich, wealthy people and those who are middle class or poor is, and it's super important to have that budget and save money, of course, as much as possible. But at the end of the day, if you make more money, it's way easier to save money. It's way easier to have a budget that you can stay within. It's way easier to still be able to take your family on a trip. So focusing on making more money, learning new skills with the side hustle is what you can actually control in your life. And then, of course, doing your best to stick within a budget is next. But at the end of the day, if you can make more money, that's usually the number one way to have a good credit score after you you know, understand you know, the difference between good debt and bad debt. And that is a great segue into the bad debt section, right? So 30% of your credit score is credit utilization. And this is the number one factor that for most people, because at the end of the day, I've, we've had a lot of clients who they come to us looking for funding for a business and they're starting a brand new business. And, oh, I've always paid my credit on time. I've got great credit. Oh, shoot. They apply. It comes in at a 635 or a 640. And the number one reason that happens is because they've got maxed out credit cards. So what is it about credit utilization that people need to understand and why this makes up 30% of their credit score? I think the first thing they need to understand is what 
credit utilization actually is, what revolving credit utilization actually is, because a lot of people confuse their debt-to-income ratio and their utilization ratio, right? Mm. And th- there's a big difference here. If you have a, a loan, a personal loan for $10,000, that is not impacting your utilization ratio. That is not a revolving line of credit. It's impacting your debt-to-income, right? Your debt-to-income is how much money do I make? How much are my bills? What is that, what is that ratio, right? Whereas your utilization is what percent of my available revolving credit am I currently utilizing? So if you have a $10,000 credit card and you have $5,000 on it, you are at a 50% utilization ratio. And the key, the important factor here, Leo, is to make sure not just your overall utilization is below about 30 35%, but you want each individual account below 30 to 35%, especially if you're going to go out and try and get more capital because they're going to look at each individual account, not just your overall. So Ty, I was watching Dave Ramsey and he told me I need to cut up my credit cards and close my credit card accounts. I got this $10,000 capital one. It's a high interest rate. I don't want to use it. So I'm just going to cut it up and close it. Good idea or bad idea? It's a terrible idea. Oh, Dave. (laughs) Practice some self-discipline. If you're worried about that card, Get that card paid down and put the card in the safe. Put it away so you don't touch it. But do not close that account ever. That's a, that's a terrible idea. It's funny. I remember when I was in eighth grade in Beaver, Beaver, you know, down in southern Utah, that is. And I was playing with a guy named Dave, and he was a funny guy. He played point guard, and he was a funny guy. And I would, I would say, damn it, Dave, make a, make a better pass. And so I think sometimes with Dave Ramps, you have to say, damn it, Dave, listen, Credit cards are not bad. It's the misuse of them. It's almost like people like, money is the root of all evil. No, love of money is the root of all evil. If you understand money is a tool, it's not the root of all evil. It's kind of the same thing here. You know, uh, credit cards are not the root of all evil. Misusing them, that is that is what you want to avoid. And so as Dave says, you know, uh, avoid bad debt. There's good debt, bad debt, et cetera. But you just have to be disciplined. But when you close that credit card, you lower your credit score you lower your ability to get better financing, and it will cost you big time. So please, never, ever close a credit card. You actually lowered your utilization, or higher your utilization for that matter, because what's happening is if you have a credit card and you have no balance on it, that's helping your utilization ratio. So you should always keep those accounts open, not just for the age of credit, but for the utilization purposes. So if you do have to put a balance on a credit card, you still have that extra availability on that other one to keep utilization ratios lower. Exactly. So here's a really simple example, guys, of how credit utilization works. It's 30% of your credit score. Let's say I have one $5,000 credit card and I've maxed it out. And over here, I've got a $5,000 credit card with no balance. And so, oh, I was not disciplined. I'm going to close this credit card and then I'm going to avoid using it. And this is going to be great for me. Oh, I close it. And now I've got $5,000 maxed out. And this other 5,000 that was available, my overall utilization, I was at 50%, 5,000, and the other five is 10. So I was using 5,000 out of 10,000. I still had 5,000 available. Now that's gone. Now this is maxed out. And now my credit score legitimately just tanked maybe 60, 70, 80, as much as 100 points. Yeah, and that that's no exaggeration. We see that all the time. We see it on the adverse side as well, where people come in and say, Ty, I need to get access to capital. I look at their credit and say, well, you're 100% utilized on your revolving credit. The good news is your DTI is still really strong. Your debt to income is still really strong. So we'll get you a loan, use that loan to pay the credit cards down to 30%. I'll see their score jump, like you just said, literally 60, 70, 80, even 100 points because utilization has such a big impact on their credit. So here's a huge credit hack, and Ty has made this clear in this value bomb for you. Before you go apply for a mortgage, a business loan, uh, a new credit card, a car loan, a student uh, loan, whatever loan you're applying for, make sure you pay your credit card balances down before applying, and then they actually need to update with the credit bureaus. That one thing, if you can have your credit card balances at 30 to 40% or less of your limits, it's a $10,000 card, the balance is three or $4,000. If you do that, your score is going to be higher. You're going to pay less interest. Big credit hack that no one's taught us. So write that one down and share that one with everyone you know. And the key that Leo just said there is you have to wait for that to reflect. You can't go to the bank two days after you made your payment and say, hey, my utilization's corrected. They don't care what your credit card statement looks time? like. <laughs> they care what's on the credit report. And so the way you do that, you can. there's two ways. You can get a credit report 
And each individual account, right, if it's my American Express, on my American Express section, it'll say report date or balance date. But the other way you can do that, if you don't have access to a credit report or don't want to get a credit report, look at your payment due date. Not the day you made the payment, your official payment due date on your credit card statement or on your account online. Give it about five days, five to seven days after that payment due date, and it should almost always be reflected with the credit bureaus. I'd get a report to be certain about it, but that is one way you can do it is look at the payment due date, wait about five days. Huge credit hack there for you guys. All right, so we've talked about 35% of your credit is on-time payment history. 30% is credit utilization, how you utilize credit cards and keep those balance to limit ratios low. Number three in the credit driving uh, factors is your average age of account history. This is 15% of your credit score. And again, this is this kind of goes back to that same idea of if I've had a credit card for a long time, I just think I should close it. How does that impact my average age of account history now? Yeah, it, it has a massive impact because it's it's this it's an average, right? You look at this account's 18 years old, this account's 10 years old, this account's five years old. They're taking an average of all of those numbers. And if you close that account that's 18 years old, that one's no longer counted towards your average. So your average age of credit history just went down astronomically by closing the oldest account. In fact, when I was over there, I bought out my lease on my truck recently. And so I was able to switch it to an auto loan. And while I was there, uh, they said, hey, by the way, you've had this card with us since, I want to say it was like 2011. It, it was one of my That's oldest, one. oldest credit. One. It was the oldest credit card I had on my file. And my actual banker was like, we have this new credit card now. We can switch you up to it. It has better cash back, better rewards. The only variable is we, we'd have to close this account in order to give you this one. But don't worry, it's, it's not going to, and starts pitching her case on why it won't actually this should happen. <laughs> and False. I, I literally was like, it uh, sounded like that, that cat that like, you know, is, is hissing at you. Like, get away, like, don't touch that card. Don't touch that, that account. That's my oldest account. You absolutely do not close that. And most people, if their banker is telling them, Oh, close that. It doesn't matter. Don't Let's get it. you into this new card. They're going to do it in a heartbeat. But by understanding Closing the oldest card that you have is going to have a massive impact on your credit. Don't ever do it. Keep those accounts open, my friends, because it's going to keep your credit score high. And it's about that average age of account history. The longer the longer you go keeping those accounts open, that's why grandma and grandpa who opened an account up in the 80s, their credit score is 800 because such a big percentage of the credit is utilization. It is on-time payment, but 15% of it is the average age of account history. So keeping those accounts in good standing and open for the duration. And the interesting thing is like all loans except maybe a mortgage, but as much as we move and refinance in this country, the average mortgage is maybe four or five years. So you're actually, it's really only credit cards. Again, it's so funny how so much misinformation or just misunderstanding from a Dave Ramsey or somebody out there who says, close your credit cards, credit cards bad, cut them up, close them up. But that's the only way you can really build your average age of account history because car loans, you pay off. Mortgages, you know, you buy and sell. The average mortgage lasts like five years in this country. We we're just meeting with a mortgage guy. That's what he was telling us. Student loans, uh, you know, maybe those open a little bit longer, unfortunately, but even they get paid off. The only account that stays open for the your whole life is a credit card account. And so if you're keeping that open, that's really a, a secret weapon to have a great credit score. And if you close that old credit card, that, that hurts your credit. Plain and simple. Yeah, even home equity lines of credit expire. It's yes, yes. But that's also not a bad idea. Home equity line of credit, a good account that you can usually uh, keep open for a while. But yeah, they get upset, you know, maybe if you don't use it for four or five years and and maybe uh, threaten to close it. But so average age of accounts, 15%. Keep those accounts open. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, next fourth driving factor in your credit score is... Loans, cards, mortgages, basically, you know, when my mom was young, or excuse me, when I was young, my mom was still young. She was teaching me, and she's like, Leo, I want you to be good at sports. I want you to play the piano for a half hour every day. You have to have a 4.0 perfect grade point average. And Leo, you need to read all these books. And she had this thing where you have to be well-rounded. You need to be good at everything. And, uh, you know, it helped out with college applications. And just to her credit, amazing. All nine of her kids have gotten scholarships, 
my youngest brother, uh, Teddy, full ride scholarship to Stanford, which that that is wow. really, really difficult to do. Props to him. And props to my mom for helping all nine of her kids come out of Beaver, Utah, and get nine scholarships to different schools across the country. Great job. But anyway, she's like, you've got to be well-rounded. And when it comes to credit, the same thing is true. If you are well-rounded in credit and you have different types of credit, then the credit bureaus like that. Yeah, it, it, they you're diversified, right? You, you're showing them, hey, I know how to manage a credit card. I know how to manage revolving accounts and take care of my utilization. I know how to manage a loan and make a consistent payment over five-year terms. I know how to manage secured accounts like an auto loan or a mortgage. So it's it just looks good in a lender's eyes to see that you know and understand the different levels of credit, the different aspects of credit that could be extended to you. You know, and over the years, as you and I have looked at like hundreds of thousands of credit reports, I think we've seen two types of clients out there who fail this one factor that's, you know, the fourth biggest driver in your credit score. And it's that you have that one type of client who all they have are credit cards. They've never had a car loan. They've never had a personal loan. They've never had a mortgage. And so all they have are credit cards. And a lot of the times lenders don't like that because they see that person is likely to get in trouble because all they've had are those they've never actually had any loans. And then on the other side of the factor, you see someone who has had one mortgage for 10 years and they've had maybe two car loans and they have no credit cards. And that means they have no available credit limit, which is killing 30% of their credit score with credit utilization, but it's also killing them on the 10% that is, I as a lender want to see that you have mortgages, car loans, and credit card history. And if you're missing out and all you have is loans or all you have is cards, then it's kind of like you have an incomplete file and it's going to hurt you. Yeah, it's wild to see because you can still have a decent credit score because we see this is 10%. 10% of your score is the well-rounded aspect of it. So people will come into a uh, come in and apply for a credit card with a 760 credit score, a 780 credit score, but never had any credit cards before, they'll only get $1,000. Then yeah. you see someone with a 730, much less, a much lower credit score, but they have all this variety. They have loans. They have a bunch of different credit cards. They have some high-limit credit cards, and that exact person will get twenty, twenty-five, thirty thousand $30,000. So we, we see that day in and day out having the balance, having the credit, the balance of different types of accounts, not carrying a balance, but having a balance of different accounts, uh, making sure you have credit cards, making sure you have loans, you will get qualified for much higher limits. All right, guys, that was number four. So the uh, mixture, the well-rounded different types of accounts you want to have to have a, a high credit score. And the fifth and final factor driving your perfect credit score for the rest of your life is, drum roll please, inquiries and new accounts, right? And so all those loan officers across the country have done a wonderful job of letting you know that credit inquiries are going to ruin your life and you need to avoid credit inquiries because really they just don't want you to go down the road and work with that other loan officer. They don't want you to work with them, which I get that. And credit inquiries do make a big difference in unsecured business funding and unsecured financing. Uh, Personally, there's no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, credit inquiries do make up just 10% of your credit scores. And so when it comes to credit inquiries, one of the interesting things about credit inquiries that I think a lot of people don't know, Ty, is they think, oh, these credit inquiries are really bad. And it depends on how thick your credit is, right? Yeah. If I'm that uh, 35-year-old um, you know, female professional mom, and I've got uh, mortgage history and cars and life is busy, and you know, I didn't set up the auto pay and whatever, I was late on a couple things and I have a 693 FICO score, and I go get four or five inquiries, well, because I have such a thick credit history, those inquiries are having very little impact on my credit versus I'm 23 years old, and I've got two $500 credit cards with Capital One and Discover, and I think I've got, you know, I've got a 750 credit score. Now I go get five inquiries on that little thin credit profile. Well, Bobby's credit just tanked, And, you know, the 35-year-old mom, her credit's still really good because she has a thick profile and the inquiries don't hurt her, even though she's been late in her history. But Bobby, who just has never been late, perfect credit score, but he just doesn't have a lot. The inquiries are going to really impact him where they're not going to impact her. Yeah. And when we say really impact in a situation like Bobby, you're probably looking at if he went out and did three new applications, maybe a a 15 point uh, credit score drop, whereas the other scenario may only see a three, four, five point credit drop. But the the big factor is here. No, first and foremost, understand the difference between a hard credit pull and a soft credit pull, because a soft credit pull is not going to put an inquiry on your credit. 
you can go to Experian.com and get your credit report for free, actually. You can go in and get your scores for free, and that is a soft check. That's not going to impact your credit. You can get your own credit. If a lender's reaching out to you and says, hey, let's do a soft credit check first, let's see where you stand, that is not an inquiry. A hard credit check is what's going to put an inquiry on your credit, and again, it's 10% of your credit score. It's not the end of the world if you get a few inquiries. In fact, it's inevitable, and what we found is that by adding these new accounts, by having more availability, which lowers your utilization, it's going to totally outweigh the negative of a two to three point per inquiry credit drop. The other thing we'll say about credit inquiries that you need to know is credit inquiries impact unsecured funding a lot more than secured funding, not so much in the credit score, but whether you get approved. So if I'm applying for something that's secured, meaning collateral, like I'm getting a mortgage, a car loan, a home equity line of credit, a boat loan, my inquiries are going to have much less of an impact getting that secured financing versus if I'm trying to get no collateral financing to start a business and I need to qualify for some business credit cards or I need to get that personal loan to pay my credit cards down, inquiries are going to play a really big part when it comes to getting unsecured, no collateral financing versus if it's secured. So that's kind of the final word there on inquiries. But there it is, my friends, just to review the five big factors determining your credit score here in 2023, 35% on-time payment history, 30% 30% credit utilization with credit cards and maxing or, or getting those balances below 30 to 40% of the limit. Uh, again, 15% is going to be the average age of account history. 10% is your credit mix, having loans and credit cards. And then the final 10% is inquiries and new accounts. There it is, my friends. There's your credit secrets. Hope you enjoyed that. We'll be cutting this up and Casey will be getting it out. But before we sign off today, we must have the final word about the Super Bowl that just happened on Sunday. We had Eagles in Kansas. Ty, what what are your takeaways from what was a very exciting Super Bowl? That was a very exciting game. My takeaways are, first and foremost, one bad call should not change the game. right? If the Eagles took care of business early on and took advantage of opportunities they have, then that one call doesn't end that game. That being said, my take on the call you, you break it down, you look at it, it is the right call. The issue is that it's an inconsistent call. The other part True. of that, getting that call, is the brilliance of Pat Mahomes, seeing them locked up and lobbing one up that makes yep. it look so blatant and obvious. So he's the MVP for a reason. A lot of quarterbacks wouldn't be able to get that call. Um, all said and done, congrats to the Chiefs. They did a phenomenal job. They came out with a brilliant game plan and – Andy Reid will go down as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Yeah, big big props to him. I mean, it's got to feel good to beat the team that fired you, Philadelphia Eagles, <laughs> and get your second Super Bowl with your team, the Kansas City Chiefs. So big ups and congrats to Andy Reid. And just what an amazing performance by both quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts had an amazing game, three touchdowns, threw for over 300 yards. Yeah. He really just had one mistake, and it's funny Th- that, those one mistakes almost always kill you in the Super Bowl. I mean, they were they were up fourteen to seven. The Eagles are driving. They score another touchdown, go up twenty one to seven. This thing starts to get out of control pretty quickly. But somehow he fumbles the ball. I don't think anyone touched him, did he? Yeah. He just fumbles the ball, goes off his foot. The Chiefs guy picks it up, ties it up at 14-14. Like, that was such a huge play. Kansas only scored seven points in that first half from their own offense, and yet uh, they came back uh, to score 38 and get that win. And those are the types of plays that lose Super Bowls for you. I think back to Kurt Warner and the Arizona Cardinals. Loved that team, loved Kurt Warner. And he he got the Arizona down to, like, the two-yard line, threw a pick to whoever that uh, – Harrison guy was, and he runs back for 98 yards for a touchdown. No time left in the first yeah. half against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Pittsburgh, of course, wins that game in the last second. It's almost those kind of type of plays, the Tyree, you know, catch the ball in your helmet, Giants against Patriots. Malcolm Butler. Those, those almost always decide yeah. those games. But what a great game. And, and how about Patrick Mahomes? I mean, he hurt his ankle again. Wasn't looking very good in the first half. And that second half comes out. He runs. He throws. Throws three touchdowns. I mean, played really well. Do you realize Um, he didn't even throw for 200 yards? That's what's amazing. And that's where Andy Reid and uh, Eric Biennemi, the O coordinator for Kansas, and that offensive line, they ran it 20. We're talking about an Andy Reid team. Ran it 26 times and threw it 27. And they weren't dives or little off-tackle gifts. They They got very creative. I'm yeah. going to go back and watch that game film and see what I can learn of 
I mean, they were they were pulling guards from all over. They were pulling centers to to make though. They had these interesting counters and the receivers and tight ends. Everybody was blocking like it was it was amazing run offense. Yeah, for an Andy Reid team, like he was <laughs> not ever known for having the so that's that's just smart on all on all aspects. Rihanna was a little pivot. weird. What's that? Rihanna was a little weird. All right, yeah. And, Rihanna, and I finally was... I finally saw the perfect. <laughs> meme of, of what it reminded me of the whole time this might be I, I don't know you're not as much of a gamer but those of you that ever played super smash brothers how you all come down on those clear platforms like she was the set of super smash brothers and it is bizarre to go back and watch that i'll, I'll have to show you after, yeah but those platforms were definitely unique it was a unique uh you know <laughs> halftime show there it was weird it was I understand why they got started late. Usually, like they go right into that in the halftime, but didn't it seem like, oh, we're a little behind? Hold on. Yeah. Now you know why, because they had these wacky platforms and and there was no fence around them, no clear fence. Like she was actually hooked in. So yeah. I'm glad she was hooked in. She's pregnant. Want to take care of that baby? But um, she did have a tough yeah. act to follow, though. Last year's Super Bowl halftime was probably the greatest of all time. So I mean, it was phenomenal. Like the entire presentation, the songs, and they actually. I always judge it by how much are they actually singing. And last year's they sang a lot. I know Lady Gaga sang a lot. Beyonce, I feel like, sang uh, quite a bit. But and, and it seemed like she actually didn't like legitimately sing no. from her own mouth. I mean, not so, a lot. You know, but uh, Do you but know they don't get paid. That's that's weird. Yeah, they they don't get paid to do the NFL halftime show. It's, it's like all you're, about you're publicity. getting so much publicity mm-hmm. and free pub, and usually you get a big, big bump. And I'm sure a lot of people will be downloading her songs. I, I love a lot of her songs. My daughter loves a lot of her songs. The Shine Bright Like a Diamond, Umbrella Ella Ella. You know, she had to play that one. So, so good stuff. Uh, great game. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we will be tuning in, I think, on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Yeah, yep, we'll be turning Thursday. in. And we're going to be having uh, interviews. So if you guys have uh, anybody. Uh, who's going to be in Utah or is in Utah that's an entrepreneur. We're going to be interviewing entrepreneurs over the next uh, several weeks, bringing them in and hearing their story as well. But hope you enjoy Credit Secrets, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the Seven Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your net worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure podcast.